So judging by the song, um, the theme of this morning's message will be love. Um, And I know some of you might be thinking, well, that's what we've been hearing about for the last two weeks. But um, I think we'll just be continuing on that on that same subject as there's so much to say about this. But before we get into it, let's just, let's just close our eyes and pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we can be together, Lord. Um, Lord, we want, to, we want to glorify you, Lord. Um, we want you to be the center of this, of this morning, of this, um, this message, Lord. And um, we want our hearts to be in worship towards you. And Lord, we ask that you please guide us um, through the, the lessons we'll be going through this morning. Um, Lord, help us to, um, to see where we fall short. And Lord, um, Lord, that we would also be able to become better at loving as Christ loved. And um, Lord, I pray for your blessing. Please guide me and um, please speak to all of us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can up to First John chapter four. First John chapter four. Now, a quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, "Love is not merely affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's good as far as it can be obtained. A steady wish for the loved person's good as far as it can be obtained." So the true meaning of love as defined in Scripture and as displayed in Jesus' life, I think, has been greatly distorted um, by the world we live in today. Um, we, we should know that this distortion should be expected because Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 12, he said, Iniquity shall abound and the love of many shall wax cold. So we know that Jesus said that this will happen. The love of many shall wax cold. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 to 4, we read, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. It also says that they will be without natural affection. And it also says that they will be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And I think these verses characterize what we see so much in so many people's lives in the society we live in and we have distorted, we have turned away from love as Jesus lived it and as the Bible defines it. Another thing I, I want you to think about when it comes to love and how it's been distorted is if you look at First John chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. You can see that God is the source of the love that's being spoken of here. It says in verse 7, for love is of God. Without God in your life, without you being regenerated by the love of Jesus Christ, there will always be something lacking in your love. It cannot be scriptural. It cannot be biblical um, in its true form. Now, the unfortunate thing about these things we just looked at is not that God's word and his prophecies are true um, and that we see them coming to fruition in our day. It's rather 
that it also holds true for many Christians. Many Christians' love has waxed cold. Many Christians are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. The way and what we should love should not be defined by the culture we live in. But Christians, the way we love and what we love must be defined by what we see in the Bible. So that is what we'll be looking at today. We'll be going through the Gospels. We'll be looking at how Jesus loved. We'll be looking at his example. You know, Pastor Mike mentioned it in last week's sermon, but we'll be looking at a few case studies, could I say, of where Jesus practiced love towards those around him and see what we can learn from that. Because Jesus said in, in John 13 and verse 15, he said, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So by us looking at his example, studying how he loved, and trying to emulate that is exactly what Jesus would want us to do. Um, another reason why I think, even though we've, we've heard a lot about love in the last two weeks, I think it's also relevant because of Christmas time. And Christmas is a display of God's greatest love for humanity, where he becomes a man and he sacrifices himself on behalf of us. You're in 1 John. Have a look at 1 John chapter 9. Uh, chapter 9, chapter 4, verse 9. It says, verse 9, In this was uh, manifested the love of God toward us, because that God, was sent, uh, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, that is a payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. We see there in verse 9 that the, the love of God was manifested to us because God sent his only son. And so when we think of Christmas and we think of this time, let's not forgive the greatest gift of love, which is Christ um, who came to bear our sins. And then also verse 11, that says, Beloved, if God so loved us, what does that imply? We ought also to love one another. And that is where this sermon comes in. We look at the love of God, the love that he has for us, and then we say, okay, but how do we now love one another? What do we learn from Christ's love? How do we apply it to our lives? So, you'll see on your outline you have 10 points. Um, so we're going to be looking at a few definitions or a few examples of how Christ loved. What is a Christ-defined love? You can open to Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, where we'll find our first point. Now this sermon, unlike the way I usually um, preach or teach, is I like taking a passage and going through that passage this is going to be a little bit more of a, of a, of a topical sermon, so we're going to be jumping around a bit. Um, but we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to try and stay sequentially as we go through the Gospels. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, where we find our first point, and that is a Christ-defined love is not always easy. Is not always easy. We see this in verse 43 of Matthew chapter 5, it says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor, 
and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth the rain on the just and on the unjust. For if we love them which love you, for if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, that is to say complete, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So Christ defined love is not always easy. We all have people in our lives who who rub us the wrong way, who it's slightly more difficult to be patient with. We have people who have hurt us. We have even some people who we feel go out of their way to, to spite us, to hurt us. But Jesus says the cure to this is to treat them unfairly. What I mean by that is to treat them in a way that they do not deserve. In verse 45, we see how God makes the sun rise over the just and the unjust and brings the rain over them as well. So God doesn't treat those who are unjust necessarily in that sense, in this context, differently. He brings rain over the just and the unjust. You know, we often think of unfairness as something bad happening to me and I shouldn't be getting something bad, but we never see it as unfair when something good happens to us, which we also don't deserve. And um, I think in, in that sense, we should be treating those who treat us in a, in a bad way unfairly. And that is not always easy. Jesus said that we should treat them um, as we would have them treat us. Not indirect in the exact way they're treating us, but the way we would want them to treat us, not giving them some of their own medicine. Because that is exactly what the world does. Verse 46 and verse 47 speaks about these, these publicans and how they do exactly that. They treat people who love them with love, but those who hate them, they don't treat with love. And that's exactly what the, wor- the world, um, how the world would respond. But we need to rather strive to be complete in our love, as it says in verse 48. As God is perfect, as God is complete in the way that he loves, he loves the just and the unjust. As God is complete in his love, so we also need to be complete in our love. And that is why a Christ-defined love is not always easy. Second point, Mark. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Now, as we go through these, ask yourself, as soon as we say a Christ-defined love is this, think to yourself, is this the way that I love? Where is my love lacking? Where is my love not measuring up to the love of Jesus? All right, Mark chapter 10, verse 17, point number two. A Christ-defined love is filled with patient compassion. A Christ-defined love is filled with patient compassion. Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. It says, And when he was gone forth into the way, 
there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Go down to verse 20. And Jesus answering says, And answered and said unto him, um, oh, this is the, the young man answering saying, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus beholding him, loved him. Then Jesus beholding him, loved him. Jesus loved him because he was a sincere truth seeker. You see him going down on his knees and saying, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus loved him because he sincerely seeked the truth, not because he had it all figured out. In Matthew 9, verse 36, we read about Jesus saying, or speaking about Jesus, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having not a shepherd. Jesus looked at the multitude and he was filled with compassion. Jesus looked at this young man who came to him, fell down before him, asked him, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus saw the sincerity in his heart and it says that Jesus loved him. Now the question is, how do you look at those who are lost? Those who might think that they are righteous, who are trying to establish their own righteousness, as this young man said, I have kept all these laws, and we often find ourselves judging these people who think of themselves so righteously, rather than, as Jesus responded, beholding him, loved him. So these people might be thinking they're righteous, but they are very far from the truth. The Jews thought they were righteous, the people Jesus was ministering to thought they were righteous, but Jesus responded patiently. He responded compassionately. He responded um, lovingly. I think there's a lot in this simple illustration that we can learn for ourselves. How do we treat those who are lost, whether they know it or whether they think they are saved, doesn't matter. How do we treat them? Do we treat them with patient compassion, trying to win them for the sake of Jesus Christ? Point number three, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. A Christ-defined love never loses focus of God's law. A Christ-defined love never loses focus of God's law. Now, this might sound a little bit contradictory in the sense that Aren't we made free from the law now that Jesus Christ has come, that we are saved? Yes, definitely. But that's why I phrased it as never loses focus of God's law. Have a look at Mark chapter 12, verse 29. Mark 12, 29. And Jesus answered him. uh, Well, let's read verse 28 as well. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Jesus lived by this principle that he preached. 
It was part of loving God, or part of loving God primarily is verse 31, which is loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, the way Jesus loved God, or let me say, because Jesus loved God, he loved his neighbors. God's law, as I said, does not save us, but it shows us God's heart for how we should conduct ourselves. Jesus starts in verse 30 where he says, love the Lord God with all thy heart. He's pointing to the first four commandments, let's say of the Ten Commandments, which is an upward focus, which is a love from you towards your God. It's obedience to God. And then from that upward love, it flows naturally into a horizontal love, and that is the love towards your parents, towards those people around you. And so this is the love And that's what I mean when I say it never loses focus of the core of God's law. And that is an upward focus and a horizontal focus. A love towards God and a love towards man. And that's what we read when when Paul goes through the law in Romans 13 verse 10. He summarizes the law. He says, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfilling of the law because it works no um, evil to its neighbor. So, If you struggle to love those around you in this way, perhaps you've forgotten primarily to look upward, to look at God and the love that he has for you and your primary relationship towards him. Or perhaps you don't meditate on his law enough to realize how great God's love and grace is for you. We often only focus on, let's say, the nice to hear, but we don't also see we, where we fall short when we compare ourselves to what the law demands, the righteous standard of God. And by looking at that, we also realize God's grace for you and we become more thankful for the love which he has shown to us, even though we do not deserve it. And so that's why I say a love, to have love towards your neighbor, to be, to be um, completely enamored by God's love, You need to not lose focus of the law because you can't lose focus of what you have been saved from, how undeserving you are of that, and how big God's grace is for you. And that natural show of love will then flow out um, to those around you. And I think that flows very well into the next point, point number four, which is a Christ-defined love flourishes on forgiveness. It flourishes on forgiveness. Because if you have forgotten the great debt you had, what you have been forgiven of, you will much more reluctantly forgive those who do wrong to you because you're not, you're not thinking of this great love. You can turn to Luke. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we'll see how, Christ, how a Christ-defined love flourishes on forgiveness. Luke chapter 7, verse 41 Luke 7:41 says there was a certain creditor which had two debtors the one owed 500 pence and the other 50 and when they had nothing to pay he frankly forgave them both tell me therefore which of them will love him most and Simon answered and said i suppose that he to whom he forgave most that he said, and he said unto him, Thou hast answered 
ach, thou hast rightly judged. You see, love and forgiveness is inseparable in God's eyes. You can't say, I love God and accept his forgiveness, but don't extend that same forgiveness to those around you. In um, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, it says, If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? You can't say, I love God and accept God's forgiveness of your sins, but not extend that same forgiveness to those around you. If you are saved, you've experienced the greatest forgiveness, the greatest show of love that you will ever see, ever find in this world. If that is the case, how can we not respond to that show of forgiveness with all of our hearts? And also, how can we not forgive those who sin against us? Think of this in the context of of whatever relationship you find yourself in, may it be husband, wife, parents to children, boss, employee, brother to sister, whatever relationship it is, how, how about we see these relationships and their mistakes as opportunities to grow in love? Imagine if God saw our sin as something that discredits us from his show of love. There would be no hope for us. So how can we let other people's mistakes discredit them from our show of love? We need to show the love that Jesus showed and use these as opportunities to show that love. Luke chapter 10, point number five. Luke chapter 10. Point number five. A Christ-defined love requires action. Christ-defined love requires action. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. And thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, do this. There you see, this, do, and thou shalt live. But he, um, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, um, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. So now you know the story of the Good Samaritan. Let's go to the conclusion, verse 36. It says, Which now of these three thinkest thou was the neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, Go and do thou likewise. We see this, Go and do thou likewise. In verse 28, we said, And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, This do and thou shalt live. There is, a, there is an action that follows the feeling, can I say, of love. Um, Margaret Thatcher said that 
the Good Samaritan did not only have good intentions, but he had money as well. (laughs) And what she means by that is he could do something about this man's problem. And he was willing to do something about that problem. So good intentions mean nothing if there's not a willingness to act on them. In James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You see, good intentions will deceive you. You'll think because you're thinking to do the right thing that it somehow soothes your conscience because you have that desire to do something good, but you're not willing to act on it. In 1 John 3, verse 18, it says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Think of any human relationship when we speak about this. It doesn't help you tell someone you love them. It doesn't help you tell someone be warmed. Those words are empty if there's no action that follows that. So there needs to be a follow-up. When we, when we speak about love, that good intention to do good in fact, I want to say it's not, just, it's not just neutral. To an extent, it can almost be worse because <laughs> you know what you should be doing. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And so that's what I'm saying. Follow up. If God works on your heart to do something, to show love to someone, do it. Otherwise, it's actually worse for you. Imagine if Christ's love for us only remained a good intention but lacked action. Salvation would not exist. Christianity would not exist. And we would all be dead in our sins without hope, without God in this world. So don't let your intentions soothe your conscience. But rather, like verse 37 says, go and do thou likewise. Go and do thou likewise. Point number six, Luke chapter 11. A Christ-defined love prioritizes correctly. A Christ-defined love prioritizes correctly. Luke chapter 11 and verse 42. Luke eleven forty-two says, But woe unto you Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue, and all manner of herbs, and pass over the judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done, and not leave the other undone. It prioritizes correctly. You see, the Pharisees thought that their tithing and all of that was a lot more important than the judgments and the love of God. So to bring it to, to us, we all have things we need to do. We all have opinions about certain matters. We all have certain things we cherish more than others. But a Christ-defined love puts the emphasis on the right matters and shows grace on the other matters. You know, so many churches are divided and so many Christians have fights with other Christians because of, can I say, secondary issues. And they don't leave the things that are primary, primary, and the things that are secondary 
secondary. Like the Pharisees, they put the tithing and all their things that other people would see, their, their open prayers and all these things that they did, but they forgot about the judgments of God. They forgot about the love of God. Jesus is saying our first focus should be God, God's justice, and his love. What is God's justice and his love other than the gospel? God is righteous. God is just. God will punish sin because he has to, otherwise he's not a good judge. But he's also loving. He's also merciful. And that's why he displays and offers forgiveness. He displays grace to those who are guilty of the law. So it's God's justice and God's love. That is the emphasis. That must be the primary issue for a Christian. Not what Bible version do you read or whatever secondary issue you want to say. It's not that those things are not important. It's just not primary. Get to the heart. And that's why I say a Christ-defined love prioritizes correctly. Point number seven. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. A Christ-defined love is obedient. A Christ-defined love is obedient. John chapter 14 and verse 21. John fourteen twenty-one. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judith saith unto him, not Iscariot, um, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. Verse 31 but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Even so I do. We see throughout these verses that there is a, a, a theme of obedience where God has a world, God has a certain command, and Jesus says, and I follow that, and I do that, and I adhere to that. So Christ defined love is obedient. Because Jesus loves the Father, we saw that in verse 21, he obeys his commands. Wouldn't it then be natural to say that those of us who love the Father should also obey his commands? This does not mean that Christianity is merely a list of, of do's and don'ts um, and that there's no heart behind it. Um, in fact, I think from this passage, um, it teaches exactly that there is a perfect balance between the do's and the don'ts and also the heart. You'll see in verse 23, it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, you see, there's a, there's a, there's a choice. There's a heart. There's a, if a man loves me. It's not, there's heart behind that. Then it says, he will keep my words. There's the obedience. And then it says, and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. There's a living relationship that comes from that. It's not, a, it's not a dead set of rules that you follow strictly and then you're somehow spiritual or religious. There's a, there's a living relationship 
that stems from a heart that wants to love God, and because that heart wants to love God, he wants to adhere to what God has said. You see, the key is in the order of these things. It's not in the content. It's not, I do and don't do this so that I can somehow merit God's love, and now that I've merited God's love, I expect a living relationship. So that's not the order. The order is, I love God. I want to have that personal relationship. I want to know my Savior. I want to walk with Him. And because that is your desire, because your primary focus is God and loving Him, what flows from that is the do's and the don'ts. And because your primary focus is loving God and then obeying what He has said, the living relationship ensues. So it's the same content, it's just the order that is important. And that's why I say a Christ-defined love is obedient. Obedience must stem from a heart that is already surrendered. Otherwise, we are the Pharisees who tithe mint but omit the love of God and his judgments. It must originate from the heart. Point number eight. A Christ-defined love knows its source. John chapter 15 knows its source. John chapter 15 and verse 9. Jesus says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. In 1 John 4.11 it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then in 1 John 4.19 it says, We love him because he first loved us. It starts with God. That's why a Christ-defined love knows its source. Jesus loved completely. He loved consistently. He loved purely because he was connected to love's source. In order for us to exercise this same, same, this same love to those around us, and to do so continually, we need the same source that Jesus had in order for him to continue loving um, as he did. A source that never changes or never vanishes. And the only source in this world that can offer you that is God's word. God's word interpreted and taught in a spirit-filled manner. If you read God's word, you are saved and the spirit is discerning that which you are reading and you are hearing from God and God is teaching you from his word. That is the way you can make sure that you stay within the bounds of how God would love. Knowing its source, getting it from the source. You can get a lot of advice in this world and I actually did that. I read, I typed in Google, what is love? Um, to try and get an idea from a psychological point of view and I think there's, there's some truth to some of the things that they say, but a lot of stuff is completely, I want to say, anti-biblical. It's where it says it's, it's an overwhelming feeling that comes over you which you can't control. Like, mm, I don't know, that's maybe more infatuation or something like that. I don't think that's necessarily biblical Love. Last week we looked at 1 Corinthians 13. If you look at 1 Corinthians 13, you go through love is patient, love is kind. You go through all these things. You will see that each of those things has a choice. 
You have a choice to be patient. You have a choice to be kind. All of those things are things that we need to get from God's word, meditate on them, apply it in our lives, and then go and live it out. So that's why I say if you want to love the way Jesus loved, you need to get it from the source. You need to get it from God's word. Point number nine. John chapter 15 and verse 13. A Christ-defined love is sacrificial. A Christ-defined love is sacrificial. Verse 13 of John chapter 15 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I think the, the, mo- the, the best known verse on when it comes to love is sacrificial is John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. There's the sacrifice. His only begotten son. You see, love is sacrificial. That is exactly what Jesus did for us. This is the point of the cross. Jesus is taking our place, becoming sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. This is the greatest show of love we can, this, or this, this greatest show of love, the best thing we can do in return is to love others with the love with which Christ loved us to be that living sacrifice unto God, to be used by God in whichever way he would want us to be used, that we may show that love to the world. And in 1 John 3.16 it says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Each time we read a verse like this, it starts with God and God's love towards us, and how that stems now to our love towards those around us because in us loving the way Christ loved us we are the ambassadors of Christ showing his love to the world but that takes sacrifice and all that will love godly shall suffer persecution and that's why it's sacrificial you need to be willing to take a stand and sometimes that stand and sometimes acting out in love will create problems but to know that God is with you um, and he will never leave you and then lastly point number 10 John chapter 21 John 21 a Christ defined love gives second chances a Christ defined love gives second chances I also wrote here that you could also say a Christ defined love allows people to redeem themselves. So redeeming themselves or giving second chances. In John chapter 21 and verse 15, we read, And so when they had dined, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again a second time, Simon, of, Simon son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed 
my sheep. You know, Peter betrayed Jesus three times. And now Peter affirms his love for Jesus three times. But what I found, can I say beautiful in this, is that Christ initiated this. Jesus starts the conversation by saying, Peter, do you love me? Jesus offered Peter the opportunity to redeem himself. We should also give others the opportunity to redeem themselves if they have wronged us. We should also be people who give second chances because we got second chances. And so a Christ-defined love allows people to redeem themselves. Now, these 10 points, I want to apply it practically briefly by going to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm sure most of you are familiar with these verses we'll read here. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that, by, by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase in the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Speaks about the body of Christ. Speaks about how we are to work together as a body, love one another. And it says at the end, it says, well, it starts off by saying, speaking the truth, but in love. Nothing that Jesus said, nothing that we went through was not true. It was truthful, but it was a display of love. But then at the end of verse 16, it says, unto the edifying of itself, in love. We are to edify one another in love. And I think if you go through these 10 points that we went through today, you'll easily see how practically applying it is a way of us displaying love, of, of, of us um, building each other up, of us reaching out to the world. Because loving one another when difficult th- times happen is not always easy. We will have to be patient and compassionate to one another. We will always have to remember what is primary. We will always have to forgive. We will always have to do. We'll have to get our priorities straight. We'll have to primarily be obedient to God. We'll have to remember that God is the source of this love and that we can't love each other if it is not for God. We need to be willing to sacrifice and we need to be willing to give second chances. And I think this... These 10 points that we learn from Jesus' life will also just generally improve the relationships we all find ourselves in, whether it is husband to wife, parents to children, friends, whatever it is. If you tell someone, I love you, it means nothing if it's not supported by actions. So let the words, I love you, I care for you, rather be a commitment to implement the things we study today. Don't let it be empty words. Let it be a commitment to say, when I say I love you, when I say I care for you, I mean it's because I'm obedient to God. It means I'm willing to sacrifice. It means I'll forgive. It means, it means, it means. 
So that's what a Christ-defined love is, and I guess if you go through the Gospels, you'll find a lot more. But um, I think this, this summarizes it well. So in closing, I want to remind you about what C.S. Lewis said. He said, love is not merely an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's good as far as it can be obtained. Now think of this statement in the context of Jesus' love towards us. God's desire is for all men to be saved and understand the truth. This is a display of love as it is ultimately for our good and for his glory. God wants to save us because it is for, it's the best for us. Because the, if you're not saved, the result of that is much worse. So his steady wish for our good, as C.S. Lewis puts it, is God showing his love through Jesus Christ. Now think of C.S. Lewis's statement in the context of our human relationships. Do you have a steady wish for the good of those around you? One way in which you can gauge whether you do have that in your life is by looking at these 10 points and saying, do I love when it's not easy? Am I compassionate to those around me? Do I love according to God's guidelines? Am I quick to forgive because Christ forgave me? I want you all to, where you're seated, take some time, go through this list, pray and ask God to speak to you and to point out if there's something which you need to work on. So I'm going to give all of us some time to pray about it and then I'll close for us in prayer. Lord, I, I acknowledge first, Father, that 
I cannot love the way that you desire for me to love without your help Lord, without being filled with with your spirit and with your word Lord and Lord I ask that you would please help each of us to to desire a deeper understanding of who you are and of your love for us Lord for Lord without starting at at our sinfulness and without starting at our need for for grace our our need for love and how undeserving we are of that I think it will always be difficult I almost want to say it will be impossible for us to love others the way Jesus loved Lord, please come and come and help us Lord help us to, to think on these things Lord may even if it's one of these points Lord may it really take root in our heart and and change the way we we interact with one another change the way we handle difficult situations Lord may we be ambassadors for you as we as we preach the truth but we preach it in love never losing sight of the love of our Savior for us Lord may our hearts be filled with, with thankfulness Lord and understanding of the unfair treatment we have received um, through grace and Lord may we also treat others in that same way Lord please help us to to go out in this day and in this week Lord um, with these things close to us help us grow in love help us spend more time in the source find more Lord instruction from you and may our hearts and our minds be renewed as we spend time with you and um, become more like our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.